Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thanks, Alex. I um, heard a story um, or read a story a, a while ago um, about... Ben, um, Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of um, America. And uh, I don't think he was even a, a Christian, but he at that stage was an ambassador or something for America in Europe. I can't even remember which European country. And he was getting a lot of sort of resistance, a lot of, uh, you know, the guys... Uh, government officials, European government officials, they were very liberal, post-Christian, sort of very dismissive of Christianity and the Bible. They were saying, no, and, you know, the the Bible's, you know, a stupid book. It's useless. It's, there's no power in it. There's no beauty in it. There's no, it's, I mean, we're, we're so over the Bible, you know, you're in Europe, you know, we're, we're, you guys, you guys will catch up, you know, that kind of, you know, sort of really condescending approach. And, and he was very upset with it. Uh, and and um, the next time he saw them, he read them. He read them um, this portion and, uh, that says, um, "Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor oh, he actually said to them, I found this this poetic uh, portion of uh, you know that, that I that I really liked um, from an ancient poet, and and I just want to read it to you. And he said, uh, "Though the fig tree shall not blossom." nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. And he read that that. Um, portion to them and they're like wow this is so beautiful you know it's so touching such beautiful imagery and all that where did you find it can you make us copies so we're gonna have they said it's in the bible it's in Habakkuk chapter three (laughs) and um it is known this portion as as one of the most beautiful uh portions of scripture one of the most encouraging Uh, and I think part of its power lies in the fact that just the the raw faith that Habakkuk portrays in this portion of Scripture. I'm going to read it again. I'm, I'm going to start in verse 16, actually, and read it. Where Habakkuk, Habakkuk says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will... Actually, that yet's not there in the, in the original. Um, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So, so what was happening here was um, Habakkuk, during Habakkuk's time, Babylon was attacking Israel and basically invading them and busy conquering them. Uh, and God had warned that this would happen as part of his judgment. Um, and, you know, it, it's a... A situation where, where, where their country is being invaded. And, and then he says, um, after that, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce 
<clears throat> of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with string instruments. And I just want to um, share a few thoughts from, from this passage. Um, but the main thing I, I want to look at is how do we respond when things go wrong and it seems like God has forsaken us? How do we respond when things go wrong and it seems like God has forsaken us? And, and there are a lot of ways that we can respond when that happens. And, um, but we ought to think about it, about how we can respond. I, I just want to highlight from the scripture that, that this scripture says that when, when things go wrong and it seems like God has forsaken us, it's a, it's a, uh, it is a cause for fear, but it's also an opportunity for trust and a, uh, a testimony of victory. And, and we're going to we're just going to look at that uh, very briefly. Firstly, I mean, just in, imagine the situation. In South Africa, we've got quite a bit that we can rightly complain about. But it, it's, I mean, we're not the, we don't have the best country in the world, but we also don't have the worst, right? I mean, yes, um, there is quite a bit of bad governments. There's corruption. There's... there's um, battles in our education system, in our um, medical system, in um, just service delivery in general. There's a lot of poverty. If you, if you look at the percentage of people in our country that are without jobs, it's quite concerning. So, so all of those things are concerning. Um, so we, we, we don't have the best situation in South Africa, but we certainly also don't have the worst. I mean, we don't have a, another country invading us. You know, Babylon was the superpower of the day in those times, and they were invading Israel. Um, I mean, if we think we have it bad, then we can just look at Ukraine and see, okay, <laughs> you know, if, if your buildings are being shot by, you know, by being shelled and, uh, you know, by, by, by Russian artillery, then, then you know you, you have it worse. And, you know... He talks here in this passage about four, four different things. He says, firstly, um, there's this invading force. This, let me just read it uh, again. I'll wait quietly uh, for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us, the people who, in, who, in, who invade us. And, I mean, you can imagine the... the the fear, the despair, the anger, you know, when you just get invaded by another force and, and everything that you have just gets wiped away. I mean, you get displaced. I mean, just to give an idea, in, in, in Ukraine, I think there are more than 10 million people that have been displaced. I don't know what the exact number is, but I know it's more than 10 million people um, chased out of their houses. The kids can't go to school. They, they, many of them sitting in other countries you know, to try and, you know, maintain some safety. Um, when they do get home, what are they going to find? Many of the cities are just flattened, completely flattened by the war. Um, but 
But then he says, add to that. And, and he's, he's almost doing a bit of a, a, a mental experiment here. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vine. You know, suppose it's not only a country invading us, but suppose the harvest fails. Suppose, you know, to add insult to, to serious injury, there's a failed harvest. The fig trees do not blossom. And he mentions four sort of crops. Figs, um, the fig tree does not blossom. Uh, the vines, grapes, in other words, uh, olives, from which they, they ate it in some, to some extent. They also made olive oil, which they used in most of the other dishes and, you know, stuff as well. And then the fields uh, yield no food. The fields, they're speaking of, about the wheat fields. So, so wheat. And, and those are the four major uh, forms of produce in Israel. And he says, imagine over and above this invasion, invasion and this war and this destruction that's going on, people being killed and property being destroyed, that the harvest also fails and, and you know, the fixed trees do not blossom. There's no fruit on the vine. Not only does it seem like there's massive catastrophe and, and destruction coming on us by human cause, you know, and other people invading us, but now it seems like God is also against us and he's not giving us a good harvest. The harvest is also failing. And it seems like God has forsaken us. Suppose that happens. In other words, what he's doing here is he's sketching a worst-case scenario. He's saying when the worst happens, when there's invasion, when there's war, when there's, and I mean, war is terrible. They talk about the dogs of war, you know, Death, um, famine, because famine usually follows war, pestilence, all kinds of sicknesses, fire, just destruction, and chaos in general. Um, imagine the dogs of war unleashed on your country, and then the harvest also fails. Seems like man is against you in, in, in its worst form, and then it seems God is against you. What, what do you do in a situation like that? How do you respond in a situation like that? I mean, if you think about it, that is cause for fear, for trembling, for your knees shaking, for your lips quivering. Now, firstly, I just want to say most Christians and most people of God, like the people of Israel in that time, would say, no, God would never let that happen to us. <laughs> but the reality is God has let it happen to his people. Um, and yeah, you can say, you know, often it's been in judgment of disobedience and that kind of stuff, but not everyone in that time was disobedient. There, yeah, there were lots of unrighteous people and, and unrighteous rulers and stuff, and, and Habakkuk deals with all of that, but there were also a lot of people who were very faithful to the Lord, but they had to experience the war, they had to experience the captivity and, and all the bad stuff with it the people who are unfaithful to the Lord. I think one of the reasons why we sometimes struggle quite a lot in difficult situations is because we don't expect them. Then when they do come, it's not just a difficult situation that we battle with, but also the surprise of it and the fact that we didn't expect it. But then he goes on and he, and he, and he says, and he sort of gives the the solution, he says, though all of this seemed to go wrong, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in God, in the God of my salvation. And we see here that, you know, difficult circumstances are not just cause for fear, but it's also an opportunity for faith, for trust, to trust in the Lord. Um, And the way he says we should handle it is um, by focusing on the Lord. I mean, it was encouraging to me to, to hear Uh, Melissa and a few other people say exactly that, that our praise should not depend on our circumstances. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is saying here. He's saying, even in a worst-case scenario, when everything that can go wrong does go wrong, I will still rejoice in God. I will still take joy in God, my Savior. And we see that It's an opportunity to express faith at a level that you cannot express it under normal circumstances. Because when everything has been taken away and you can still praise God, then you know you're not praising God for what He has given you, but for who He is. Because then that's all that you have. (laughs) That's all that you have left. When everything else has been taken away, then you know you're not praising Him for that. You're praising him for who he is. And that is what Habakkuk says. He says, that is what our hope should be in. That is what our trust should be in. And that is what we, our, we should find our joy in. Not in our circumstances. And when circumstances work together in such a way that the benefits of serving God are removed, that is when you see when you're serving, whether you're serving God just for the benefits or whether you're really serving God because He's God. That is when our hearts are truly exposed. Now, what Habakkuk is doing there is because at that stage, when he, when he, when he writes this song, this poem, this, this prayer, whatever you want to call it, all of these things have not yet happened. But he is mentally and psychologically anticipating it and simulating it and doing a thought experiment and saying, suppose all these things happen. How will I respond? This is how I will respond. In other words, what he's encouraging us to do is to say, don't wait until a worst-case scenario pops up before you do this. Say to yourself in your heart, suppose that happens. Suppose... It comes to the worst. Suppose everything that can goes, go wrong, you know, does go wrong. Suppose Murphy's Law actually starts applying in your life. You know? The worst possible things happen at the worst possible moments. How will you respond? In other words, make up your mind now how you will respond then. Don't wait for the then to happen. I mean, the, I'm not saying it's, it's definitely going to happen. But I'm saying that the only way we can deal with our hearts and make sure that our hearts are in the right place is if we anticipate that and say, even in that situation, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take joy in God, the God of my salvation. There's um, this wonderful book, The Hiding Place, by um, Corrie ten Boom. She's a, a Dutch lady who lived during the was the Second World War, and um, 
she and her sister and I think her mother um, were taken captive by the Nazis and put in concentration camps. And, and this literally happened to them. The Netherlands was conquered by the, by the Nazis. They were taken, they lost everything and they were taken and put in concentration camps. I mean, the worst possible conditions you can imagine, you know. Um, not only, um, you know, were they, you know, on the, on the brink of starving to death, but, you know, a lot of the women there obviously were raped by the soldiers and just brutalized in, in so many different ways. And, and they literally lost everything. Um, you know, even, you know, family members, people, loved ones around them dying. And one of the things she said, having come out of that situation, was this, and, and it's so profound and so powerful. Uh, she says, you'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. You'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. But what Habakkuk is saying is, you don't have to wait until you lose everything to get your heart to the place where you realize that God is all you need. You can simulate, you can say, suppose the worst comes to worst. Suppose I, like Kori Tembuma, you know, everything I have is destroyed and I'm thrown in a concentration camp. My family's killed. The, the worst happens. Suppose that happens. What will I do? I'm making up my mind now that I will rejoice in God, in the Lord, in the God of my salvation. Um, You see, the, the, the reality is that that's going to happen to all of us in any case. How much of what you have, how much of those you love will you be able to take with you when you die? A hearse doesn't pull a trailer. Okay. You, you can't take baggage. You can't take luggage. The only things you can take with you are the things that cannot be taken away. And the only thing, ultimately, that cannot be taken away from you is God himself. Man can take everything else away from you. He can take your possessions away. He can take the people you love away. He can take your opportunities away. But no one can take God away from you. No one, not even death, can take God away from you. And that shows us that this is an opportunity to set our hearts on what, ne what can never be taken away. Then, when we get the other stuff, when the fig tree does blossom, <laughs> and there, are, there is fruit on the vine, and, and you know, there's the sheep and cattle and all that kind of stuff, we are thankful for them. But we are not dependent on them for our joy. In other words, they are not our God. You see, if you need anything else besides God to have joy, then it basically, those things are basically idols. It's only when you can say that even if everything is taken away, I'll rejoice in God, that God is your true God. And the reality is that all of us, most of the time, we struggle with idols. We think we need other stuff. We want other stuff. Other stuff is nice. 
Other people are nice. But when God is all we need, then when God gives us these other stuff, we are thankful for them, but we are not dependent on them. And when they are taken away, our lives are not destroyed. You see, if God is, is truly your God, the, the one you worship, the, the, ultimately the only one you need, you, it will still hurt when everything else is taken away. It will still hurt when you lose your possessions. It will still hurt when trouble times come. It will still hurt when you lose loved ones. It will hurt a lot, but it will not destroy you. It will not destroy you. That's the difference. In um, Matthew chapter 6, let me just see if I can find it. Here we go. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is your treasure? Your treasure is that which you value above all else. And what Jesus is saying is exactly what Habakkuk was saying. Make sure that your treasure is in heaven. Make sure that God is your treasure. In other words, make sure that the stuff that moths can eat and that rust can destroy and that thieves can steal, enjoy those stuff by all means. There's nothing wrong per se with those things. Nothing. But make sure that they are not your treasure. Make sure that they are not the things that you value above all else. Because they can and they will be taken away. Um, so I just want to encourage you in your heart right now. Just, just close your eyes for a moment. And just do that thought experiment. And just say, God, suppose a worst-case scenario comes to pass. Suppose I lose everything that I love and value. Can, will I be able to rejoice in you alone? God, I want to be able to rejoice in you alone. I choose now to rejoice in you alone. While I still have these things, before I've lost them, I choose to rejoice in the Lord, in the God of my salvation. Lord, we set our hearts upon you. You are our treasure. You are the one thing that cannot be taken away, that will never be taken away. And even as you have set your hearts on us to treasure us, we want to set our hearts on you to treasure you above all else. Lord, we thank you for all the good things that you've given us, all the wonderful people that you've, and loved ones that you've placed in our lives. But we want, don't want them to be our treasure. We want you and you alone to be our treasure. In Jesus' name. Now...
Notice he says, I'll still rejoice in the Lord. I'll still rejoice in the God of my salvation. In other words, when you do get into a worst-case scenario situation, the only one who can take you out of it is God. (laughs) The only one who can save you or deliver you from it is God. The God of your salvation. How do you know that you've gotten your heart to that place? where God is your treasure, where even if you lose everything else, you can rejoice in God. And, and the next verse, verse um, 19, actually shows us. It says, God, actually they translated it their God, but it's, it's Yahweh. And then it says the Lord, which is Adonai, uh, which means master, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on my high places to the choir master with strings instruments. Just four things I want you to notice there. Four ways in which you know that your, your heart has actually reached that place. Okay? The first thing is when you do not look to yourself for the strength to deal with troubling times, with bad situations, but when you look to God. And, and specifically, in the previous verses, he's called, called Yahweh, he's called um, Elohim, Here again he's called Yahweh, but then he's called a little bit unusual title, Adonai, Master. Which implies that if he's your master, you're his servant. A servant of a mighty master is secure, not in his strength, but in the master's strength. And and in other words, when, when you're in right relationship with God and you say, God, you are my master. Whatever you want in my life, I'll receive it. And I trust for provision, for salvation, not in myself and not in my own strength, but in your strength. You, my master, that is where I find my strength. Okay, so, so the first thing is you, you're in right relationship with, with God. He's your Adonai, your master, and you are his servant, and you look to him for strength. Um, and, and how do you know that that has happened, that you look to God for strength and that God is your strength? What does a servant do when he encounters a problem that he cannot deal with? He runs to his master. (laughs) Okay? In other words, practically we see it in how we pray. In if we pray. I can say that God is my strength. But unless I pray when I'm in trouble, when things go wrong... Unless I come to God and say, God, please help me, then God is just my strength in theory, but not in practice. Is God really your strength? Do you run to Him when you're in trouble? Because here's the thing He is your master, He is your Adonai, He is the God of your salvation. He does hear your prayers and He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to make his strength available to you. Not only for your sake, to save you, but for his sake, so that his strength and his glory can be displayed. So the first thing is right relationship with God, relating to God as master and finding your strength in him. The second thing is, he says, um, he makes my feet like that of a deer's. In other words... Uh, the picture here, I don't know if you've ever seen a deer running, especially um, the deers 
they're referring to here sort of in rocky places on mountains and so on, amongst the rocks and so on. Running, I mean, when you run uh, in, in sort of a mountainous rocky terrain, it's easy to stumble over a rock and fall. You know, there are, there are ditches and there are rocks and there are hills and, and you can very easily just take a wrong step and, you know, um, sprain your ankle and fall down. And when someone is chasing you <laughs> and you run and you fall down, it's overs cadovers. You're finished. But he says that when I do need to run, <laughs> sometimes that happens. Sometimes as Christians we need to run. Sometimes you don't stand and fight, sometimes you run. Okay? But when you do need to run, God is the one who makes you as sure-footed as a deer. I don't know if you've ever seen a deer or an antelope running on a, on a rocky terrain. But, I mean, they run fast, but they're so sure-footed, and they turn and, and go this way and that. And, and he says... God, when I do need to run, God is the one who makes me as sure-footed as a deer. Where, <clears throat> even though the terrain is rocky, even though there are all kinds of you know, problems with the terrain, and it's not smooth sailing, God makes my feet sure. He makes me to run like a deer. <clears throat> so even when trouble comes, I, I think the picture there is that God makes me sure-footed even in troubled times. You know, even on this rocky terrain, this uneven terrain, when troubled times come, God makes me sure-footed despite the trouble. I'm not, other people around me are falling around, tripping, they're spraining their ankles, they, they're getting, you know, destroyed, they're getting pounced on by the prey, but somehow God is making me, you know, sure-footed like a deer, and I'm, I'm navigating this uneven terrain by God's grace. He makes me sure-footed like a deer. Okay, that's the second way in which you... Um, you know you're trusting in God. The, the third one, it seems at first, uh, when you look at it at first, it seems to be related to the second one. It, it makes my, me tread on my high places. Um, but it's not directly related to the deer. The, 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 the implication there is, yeah, the, the deers run on the high places, on the mountains, you know, on the rocky hills and so on. But, but there's a deeper implication there the high places were also the places where idols were worshipped. Notice it says, my high places. In other words, when I go into difficult situations, that's when my idols get exposed, and that's when God makes me tread on the high places. In other words, He makes me stomp down my idols and step on my idols and destroy them because God knows that the real danger in my life is not the invading army or the famine, but the idols of my heart. And He, during those times, He makes war against my idols and He enables me to go up to my high places, the places where I have idols in my life, and to tread on them, to tread down those idols, to destroy those idols. You see, God uses even troubled times for our good. Amen? Because it's, it's in those troubled times that our idols are exposed to us. You see, whereas Israel lived in a time of physical idols, making statues, covering them with gold or whatever, that, the idols were obvious. For us in our modern times, the idols are not obvious. They're hidden in our hearts. God, for instance, says, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon, wealth. And yet, there are many Christians 
that do that, that, so, that try and serve both God and wealth. They try and serve two masters. But then, when trouble times come, all of a sudden they realize, uh-oh, I'm trying to go in two directions here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find my, my joy in wealth, but I'm also trying to find my joy in God. But when the wealth is threatened, you know, it, it really feels like I am threatened. My very being, my very identity is threatened. So clearly, mammon, wealth, is an idol to me. And I need, to, I need to go up to my high place and tread down that idol. And then thirdly, it says, um, to the choir master with stringed instruments. That's a phrase you'll, you'll often read in the Psalms, at the beginning of the Psalms, but in Habakkuk you have it at the, right at the end. What does that mean? That means that everything that Habakkuk has said so far has been turned into a song for corporate worship. That means that your test can be turned into a testimony that encourages not just you, but all the people around you. Your worst-case scenario, your bad thing that happened to you, your troubled times that came upon you, when you trust in the Lord, when you've come through it, when you've experienced Him as the joy within the troubled times, but also the God of salvation who saves you from the troubled times, you can turn it into a song that others can sing with you. A song of God's salvation. A song of God's faithfulness. A song of God's wisdom. A song of God's power. A song of God, how God saved you, not just from the invading army on the outside, not just from your physical circumstance like the failed harvest, but also from the idols who are threatening you on the inside. A song of praise to God and His salvation, the God of your salvation. Now, if we go back to the first verses... Um, verse 16, Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, verse 16, it says, I hear, and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. And then, like I said, there's a yet in the English version, but not in the, in the Hebrew. It, it just says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Um, and the question I was asking myself when I read this the first time is, this fear, because it clearly describes fear. You know, if you, if, you, if you look at body trembling, lips quivering, you know, knees knocking and trembling and, you know, feeling faint, it clearly describes fear. But my question was, fear of who in the context? Is it fear of the invading army? If, if the yet is there, it looks like it's fear of the invading army, but the yet's not really there in the original. If you go a few verses to the beginning of the chapter... In Habakkuk 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigionoth, whatever that is. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Lord I have heard. O Lord, I have heard the report. Remember in verse 16 he says, I hear and I tremble. Notice what he says here. O Lord, I have heard. I hear, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So what, what he's saying here, and I want to close with this, is, and then he goes on in verse 3 to 15 to recount the mighty deeds of God. How he um, 
you know, judge the rivers. Judge the Nile River by turning it into blood. Judge um, the, the, the Red Sea, the, the rivers in the sea, by opening it for, for Israel. Judge the Jordan River by, by opening it up for Israel to go through. Judge Pharaoh and his, um, and his soldiers. Uh, he even talks about how Joshua prayed and God caused the sun and moon to stand still. So he's, he's, he's rehearsing in history all of God's mighty deeds and his faithfulness. And he says, I've heard the report of these. I didn't see those things with my own eyes, but I've heard the report. I've read it in Scripture. And you, your mighty works, do I fear. You see, the key to being able to rejoice in God, even when everything else is taken away, is... And to not fear your circumstances is to fear God. To fear God instead of your circumstances. And he says, in the midst of the years. In other words, those things happened in years past. But in the midst of the years now, in our times, let them be repeated. Now we know that Habakkuk had to... Israel was taken into captivity. And Habakkuk didn't see Israel being returned from captivity. He didn't see it with his own eyes, but he was crying out for it. And um, he said, even, even in the midst of the trouble, I will already cry because God's promise and God's nature as a God of salvation is sure enough that I can rejoice in it now already. And the fact that God cannot be taken away from me. And then he says, in wrath, remember mercy. And we, of course, know that the ultimate place where God remembered mercy and wrath, and where he actually poured out his wrath so that he could have mercy on us, is on the cross. All of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross so that he could remember mercy and be merciful to us in times of trouble, in times of... I mean, Jesus' worst-case scenario came upon him. You see, where, where our worst-case scenario might be losing our property... Losing our wealth, losing our loved ones, even losing our lives. Our worst case scenario, like we said, will never include us losing God. But Jesus did. He had to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The absolute worst case scenario came upon him so that it would never have to come upon us. He went through death in the worst possible way. So that when we go through death, it can, in a sense, almost be a relief. It can be, like Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's stand. Habakkuk talked about an appeal to God to remember mercy and wrath. And he knew God could do it. Us looking back and seeing Jesus and the cross, we're in a much better position to see how God has done it and to trust in God. So I just want to encourage you, you know, we often allow troubled times and difficult circumstances to shake us, to get to us, to to cause us to be dismayed and overwhelmed and to give up even, to lose heart. And we shouldn't. When the troubled times come, when the troubling times come, and, and, and often they do, we as Christians should be the ones who can stand strong and say, 
God will never leave me or forsake me. I can still and I will still rejoice in the God of my salvation. So let's just, let's just close our eyes and, and focus on the Lord and, and just do business with him. Obviously this applies, you know, in, in those times in Israel, when Israel was taken away by the Babylonians into captivity, there were those who experienced it as judgment because they didn't really have a relationship with God. But there were those who experienced the same judgment as salvation because in the midst of the judgment, God saved them and God kept them because they had relationship with God. And the question is, do you have relationship with God? Have you given the, your life to the one who experienced wrath so that you can experience mercy? Have you given your life to the one who said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you could say, Thank you, God, that you'll never forsake me. Thank you, God, that no matter what goes wrong, this one thing I can be sure of, you will never leave me or forsake me. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.